0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. And Our story continues in Genesis chapter 25 today. And it says this, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man. We talked a little bit about that last week, kind of passive-aggressive. Staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, this is dad, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why we also call him Edom. His his descendants were called the Edomites. Edom means red. So Jacob replied, first, before you eat some of my stew, sell me your birthright. (laughs) That's That's an expensive bowl of stew. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And It says this, so Esau despised his birthright. He despised what was rightfully his. See, the birthright was entitled to the firstborn. And Esau was the firstborn. The the birthright is this. It means leadership. right? It means I'm going to lead the family. When dad's gone, I'm going to take over his reins. I'm going to have the authority. I'm going to have the rights. I'm going to have the responsibilities of the family. It's all on me. He understood this weight. He understood also that that the birthright meant that he got a double portion. So if if the inheritance said that each child gets $100,000... Esau got $200,000. He got double what anybody else did. The great privilege of, of having that birthright. And then he also would receive a special blessing where the father would bring him in and he would declare and he would set forth the motion. He would prophesy over his son, catapulting him into the future. So this incredible thing called the birthright that the firstborn son would get, and it was entitled to Esau. And Jacob knew how valuable it was. And so Jacob wanted it. And so Jacob, listen, understand this. The desire that Jacob had for the birthright is totally justifiable. It was incredibly appropriate for him to want what was rightfully belonged to Esau. How many of you know that? Like, desiring, that's great. You know, it reminds me of the the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says this, eagerly desire the best gifts. And I think that's how Jacob was. He was eagerly desiring. He's like, man, I want it. I want the birthright. So I'm going to develop, when the, when the time's right, I'm going to be like a snake in the grass. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to get it from Esau. I'm going to get it from my brother. Now, how many of you know that wanting the right thing is awesome, but if you attain it the wrong way, that's not your destiny? So he, he wanted the right thing, but he attained it the wrong way. His intentions were good. Have You ever had good intentions and did the wrong thing? Listen, good intentions without good decisions don't matter. So you can have good intentions all day long, but if you don't make good choices, it don't matter. It won't matter. It won't matter. It won't, won't have any positive effects. It doesn't matter how good your intentions are. We talk about intentions all the time. Oh, they have good intentions. They know. But are they making good decisions? Is it gonna matter? Let's see, some have speculated that God somehow ordained the behavior. Of Jacob. Now, now, God had the, the plan for Jacob to be the man, but, but God never ordained the behavior of Jacob. We, we kind of look at Jacob as a hero. Look how crafty he is. It wasn't good that he was crafty. He was doing it the wrong way. He was going after the right thing the wrong way. And I would argue that Jacob's methods cost him years of delays. and made for himself a very difficult road. And eventually he would come around, and we'll we'll get to that in the series. We have to be on guard, beloved. We have to be on guard that we are not like Jacob, that we are not conniving, that we we are not making it happen, that we're allowing God to bring those things to pass, allowing God to bring his promises to pass. And we control our desires, but we also have to make sure that we're not like Esau. Because, see, this is really the tale of two strivers, the story is really a story about desire jacob desired the birthright and esau desired the stew <laughs> it's silly when we read it it's it's silly look at what hebrews says about esau now if your name's going to be in the bible <laughs> you you want to you want to have a good testimony in the bible right i, I want you to read this listen so that no, he says this, see that no one, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Whoa. What a bummer, right? Hey, I got it written in the Bible. My name's in the Bible. Godless like Esau. Wow. Man. For who a single meal, a single mill sold his inheritance rights. As the oldest son. What was rightfully his. He gave it up for a single meal. Afterwards you know. When he wanted to inherit his blessing. He was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind. No repentance. Though he sought the blessing with tears. Some would say. Esau represents a worldly Christian. Or a a carnal Christian. Let me tell you beloved. A worldly or carnal Christian is an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a worldly Christian. You're either of the world or you're of the kingdom of God. You're either a Christian or you're a sinner. You were a sinner, but now you've been saved and rescued by grace. Now you're a son. Now you're a daughter. Uh, s- some historians have said this, you know, that word That word. godless. Some, some historians, some Jewish historians out, outside of the, the biblical narrative, and, and, and a lot of it makes sense when we compare it. Uh, it says that Esau was, was an incredibly violent man. So he would, Esau would leave where Jacob stayed he would go out, and he would have these these journeys. He's this wild. He would enter into wild living. He would marry uh, Canaanite women who were who were enemies of, of their people. He would go out, and he would, there was a, a king uh, by the name of Nimrod that he supposedly killed. And so he was a violent, vicious man. Sexual immorality, obviously, something that he's attached to here that we read in Hebrews. So, so Esau was a godless man. And his offspring, his offspring, the Edomites, they looked just like him. They became prominent enemies of Israel. They were a wicked nation. They worshipped uh, fertility gods. They were full of idolatry. They were, they were a thorn in the side of Israel. But the word that is used to describe them is godless. Godless. <laughs> That's an intense word. It's not like he was weak or he was frail. He, no, he was straight up godless. But I mean, you've got to go a long way to get that title. Godless or profane here refers to one who, by word or conduct, treats standards with contempt or has no reverence for that which was sacred. He had no reverence for that which was sacred. He treated standards with contempt. He looked at standards and said, ugh, I hate standards. Sometimes we're like Esau. I know this is part of the kingdom, but I I really don't like the rules. No reverence for that which is sacred. See, in this moment, again, this, this story is about desire. So I want to help you today. You okay? We're going to talk about the drive of desire. Things to remember with the drive of desire. Because we've all got desire. And this is what I encourage you to do. When you have a desire... When you have a desire, that you would take that desire to the Lord. Because because sometimes we think any desire I have is a God thing. Listen, even if it's a good thing doesn't mean it's a God thing. And so every time that, that something is in my heart, not necessarily did God put that in my heart. Sometimes what's in my heart is what Josh Brown put in his heart or what somebody else said to me, and that put it put it in my heart. Sometimes it was a seed of words or thoughts from somebody else. But listen, what we need to have is we need to make sure, first of all, that we're, that we're nurturing our heart with the word of God, so the things that are producing are of the Lord out of our heart. But listen, also that when we have a desire, and we start working towards that desire, it's critical, beloved. It is so critical that we take those desires to the Lord and say, Lord, is this from you? I don't care how noble it is. You say, Lord, why, why have I been thinking about this for like three weeks? You've ever been there? Like you get something in your, in your heart, in your head, and you're, you're thinking about it. Oh, just take it before the Lord. It could be the Lord. In fact, if you're, if you're pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly, I would say it probably is from the Lord. But is it surrendered? Are you yielding it? Are you submitting it to the Lord? Say, Lord, is this you? see what the Lord is saying. So there's a lot of things to remember when we have desire, but not just desire, but driving from those desires. What am I doing with it? Number one is this, don't pass up your position. Don't pass up your position. And this is what Esau did. He sold the birthright. He's like, nah, I don't need the birthright. I believe this. Some would say that he was considered godless because he sold the birthright. I would say he sold the birthright because he was godless. I I would suggest this, that this was something that he already despised. He despised it more after he gave it up, but he really despised it before that, or he wouldn't have given it up for a bowl of stew. We see him. He's this wild guy who's not around the house too much. He's distant from the family. He wanted the benefits of the family, but none of the responsibilities. Come on. He didn't want to share the load. He didn't want to do the dishes. He just wanted to go out and hunt. He just just wanted to exercise his gift. I'm going to exercise my gift, and I can't do that in the house, so I'm just going to spend all this time outside of the house, and I'll come in to eat some of that good red stew, lentil stew. What is wrong with you, Esau? Come home to, to give Dad some elk meat because Dad likes it. Bring dad some good good wild game, get a little affection from dad, and then out to the wild again, doing his thing. See, he didn't value the values of the house. Beloved, you are a child of God. Value the values of the house. Value the values of the kingdom. Is it about you and your values, or is it about God and his values? We, We see that he married Canaanite women. Multiple Canaanite women, which was something that was totally against the rules of the house. You just didn't do that. They were the enemy. Why? Why are you marrying Esau? Why are you marrying the enemy? Because he's godless. And so many times we are functioning outside of our identity as sons and daughters. We're doing things that people of God shouldn't be doing. We go, Oh, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? That means you go to church. You have a little experience. You might even lift your hand and worship, mm, right? You Might have a little encounter with the Lord. You might cry, and that makes you a Christian. What is the, what? What is it about you that looks like a son? That looks like a daughter of God. And so, what we do sometimes is is the only time we all ever identify ourselves as as God's beloved, as his, as His kids. The only time we'll ever do that is when we're among church people, because we know that it might that 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 we might be missing out if we identify as that. This is what we think. We think, and let me just say this, if you feel like that you're missing out because you're abstaining from certain worldly pleasures as activities, things that are contrary to your walk with Christ, you're acting like a sinner, not a son. Oh man, I really want to sell out to God, but, but if I sell out to God, I won't be, be able to do X, Y, Z. And you have this poverty mindset that there's things that you won't get to do. You're acting like a sinner, not a son not a daughter. Examine your heart. Are you in? Are you in the kingdom? Romans 6.20. I love this. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. You know, Before you came to Jesus, you could do whatever you wanted to do. You didn't have to do anything right. You didn't belong to God. You weren't, quote-unquote, accountable to God. You just did what you wanted. Or you compared your righteousness to the people around you. But now, <laughs> now you have an obligation. Now you have to do what's right. Now there's a there's a burden inside of you that says, Man, I've got to obey God. I can't obey my flesh. I can't obey the pressure of the moment. I've got to obey God. Do you find yourself in this precarious situation where you go? I can't do this. I can't watch this. I can't partake in this. I can't go there. I can't do that. I can't act like that. I can't treat that person that way. But used to, you didn't have an obligation to do right. What was the result? You were now ashamed of the things that you used to do. You ever do that? Talk about your history. You know, talk about before you came to the Lord. You're like, yeah, man. I was really like, oh, look, like in eighth grade, I smoked up like every day. You know? You find them bashful. You're bashful about them. You're ashamed of the things you used to do, things that ended in eternal doom. But now, oh, come on. Here we go. But now you are free from the power of sin, and you have become slaves to God. In other words, you belong to God. He has rights to you, and you have the power over sin. Did you know that you have the power in you to say no to sin? Every time you have the power in you. But will you exercise the power as a son, as a daughter of God? Now you do those things that lead to holiness. Are you making decisions that lead to holiness and result in eternal life for the wages of sin and death? We know this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is my plea to you. Beloved, grow up. Grow up and walk in your identity as sons and daughters of God. Don't pass. Don't pass up your identity. Don't give in to the world around you, the the way that they function and the way that they live, and give in to the pressure. Most of the time, it's our own pressure. Listen, people respect you way more when you make a stand. You think, oh, man, I just got to fit in, so I just got to do whatever everybody else. Dude, everybody will, res- if you do it in a loving way, everybody will res- respect your decision to say no to worldly pleasures. As long as you're not, like, pointing your nose down and acting all like like you're the most spiritual person on the planet. You're like, well, God wouldn't like that. It's like, well, he don't like your attitude either, so what you going to do with that? All right. So don't pass up your position. Number two, value virtues over vices. Value virtues well. Don't we? We have our little thing and we go, oh, that's my thing. I just want a little Jacob. I'm born like a, a strawber. Right? That's what we do. Right? We all have a little pets and a little thing. Isn't it cute? No, it's not cute. It's not cute at all. Your, your sin issues are not cute. They're not cute little sins. They're destroying you. Esau. He's all being extra, right? He's like, I'm about to die. I need it. I'm about to die. Like, what is that? You're about to die? Really? Like, you walked over here, you've been out in the woods. You come out here, you're about to die? Like, it's pretty dramatic. Chill, bro. But he's, listen, Jacob knew how he was going to act. So he shows up and he's like, You're about to die. Hmm. I have the solution for that. I have some red lentil stew. Have you ever had lentils before? They're not awesome. They're not good at all. In fact, when I was a student at Christ for the Nations, I had some some uh, people that lived in the dorm that were from India or something. I guess they eat a lot of lentils in the Middle East. Thank God I didn't grow up on lentils. I grew up on, on beans. Come on, baby. And sometimes refried beans. Come on, we, we know how to do it right. But they had lentils. Lentils are not very good. Listen, oftentimes... Oftentimes, the thing that we're compromising for isn't very good, especially compared to a birthright. I mean, how common is a red bowl of lentils? A birthright. A birthright for lentils. Listen, don't blow it for the bowl. Don't blow it for the bowl. Stop giving in to instant gratification. Gratification. You've got to value what you want most over what you want now. And so many times the enemy comes, he's like, hey, don't you want this? I just want to distract you. I want to make your road a little longer. I want to make your life miserable. will not you just take a little bite? Here, here, I got some stew for you. Oh, man, I like that stew, and I'm about to die if I don't have some. With every choice we make, we're revealing what we value most. Every choice. When you make a decision, you're saying, this is the most important thing. Right? When you choose to sit on your bed and look through Facebook for 15 minutes, and won't spend the time in the Word of God. It shows that you value social media more than the Bible. Because you say, at the end of the day, I didn't have time to read my Bible. I value excellence. But, you know, I just had to stop by Starbucks on the way to work, you know. And it caused me to be 10 minutes late. But you value excellence? Doesn't seem like it. Our values, listen, our values will determine our choices. What do you value most? You see, I see Christians all the time trying to fit into a world that they don't belong in. An effort to be funny, an effort to be affirmed is cool. Or even edgy. Some, some people are like, well, I'm an edgy Christian. <laughs> I'm not religious at all. Except for you're pretty religious about that. What if we were recognized for our purity? What if we were recognized that we would never sell out? That we just, we say no to bowls. <laughs> we never blow it for the bowl. We never do. We're pure. We just, we have standards. We're not godless like Esau. We don't treat those things with contempt. Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Jacob, Esau, both of them. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Where is your mindset? Are you thinking about bowls? Or are you thinking about your identity? Are you thinking about Jesus? Are you thinking about being a son, being a daughter? Because that's what the Spirit does, right? He affirms in our heart that we are the children of God. It's always an attack on your identity. The mind of the sinful man is death. And notice what it says. It says, have their mind set. Verse 6. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Some of you are like, man, I just man, Christianity. This is not really working for me. This is not very. I don't have very much life. Man, I just got peace. Everything's chaotic. It's like when God came into the picture, it's like everything got crazy. It's like, where's your mindset? Are you thinking about the things of the spirit? You want peace in your life? Think about things of the spirit. Stop thinking about all the mess that's going on. I had just kind of quit listening to like political commentary because it just destroying my peace. It's not what the spirit desires. Think God's going to save a nation because of policy that the government? <laughs> You're putting your faith in the world, not God. Right? You're all caught up in all this stuff. So I had to just quit, man. I was just like, if I find myself getting overwhelmed, I'm just like, boop. people I love to listen to, people I'm encouraged by, like, yeah, it's God. Not, stop. I don't want to think about that. I don't, you can say, well, that sticking your head in the sand. Da, da, da. Okay, but I got peace. <laughs> and I got life, and I got enough life and peace to give away to other people. I'm not so consumed with it. I don't have to have the pulse of the Lord. I need the pulse of the Father. I don't need the pulse of the world. I need the pulse of the Father. That's what the pulse that I need. That's where I function from. And that's found in the spirit. The sinful mind is hostile towards God. It does not submit to his law, nor can it so. The minds controlled by the spirit, by, by by the sinful nature, cannot please God. A mind that is dominated by the sinful nature cannot please God. You want to please God? Don't be dominated. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a carnal thought. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle, that you're going to screw up. We've all done that this week. Some of us this morning on the way to church. Not me. (laughs) It's pretty easy when nobody else is around. Let's just be honest. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not. You're not. You're not, you're not controlled by the sinful nature. So you can please God. But you're controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Do you have the Spirit of Christ? Are you possessed by the Spirit of Christ? Or are you possessed by the Spirit of you? But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Because you've come to Jesus. You've come to Jesus. You're in Jesus. Now you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are as righteous as Jesus is. You're as righteous as God is. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you will live out of that righteousness. That'll be your strive. You'll live out of that place. You're not striving for righteousness. Come on, you are righteous, therefore, your life looks different. Number three is this. Y'all okay? Number one, don't pass up your position. Number two, value virtues over vices. Number three, choices have consequences. Remember that. Choices have consequences. I love the grace of God. We preach the grace of God. Man, there is nothing that you've ever done that God can't forgive in a moment. When you come to Jesus, you are that righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You You are pure. You're as holy as Jesus when you come before the Lord. Love it. Love the grace of God. Love forgiveness. Forgiveness is immediate. But reaping and sowing is imminent. Listen, you will reap where you sow. And if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. It's all oh, man, I'm just I'm in Jesus. It's all good. You are in Jesus. It's all all good between you and him, but when you make those foolish decisions, not only does it jack with the world around you and the ecosystem of eight billion people when you make those foolish decisions listen it also jacks your heart up and then you keep compromising for like five or six years and then you're like why don't I hear God anymore because you've turned a deaf ear to his voice because when he's calling you and say hey don't do that son don't do that daughter that's not who you are you just you kind of grew a deaf ear and so now he's like saying stuff and you don't even hear him why because you've numbed yourself to his wooing to his drawing That's listen, that is sin is so damaging to you. God's heart for you isn't to sin because He's like, He's like, you do that. I'm gonna smack you. He's like, Listen, don't do that. It's messing you up. It's not who you are. I don't want you doing that. Don't sell the bowl. Don't blow up for the bowl. Don't do that. Don't do that. I I want you to come to me. I want you to trust me. Let's do it my way, please. I believe, I believe the Father is pleading with us because He wants what's best for us. He's tired of you doing damage to your heart, man. I'm telling you, sin. Man, sin has consequences. I look at people, people that I, I knew that I was in relationship with 25 years ago when I came to the Lord, 26 years ago. And there's people, man, that I grew up with, and I look at them now, and they look old. And they look drained, and their faces is downcast. They've just had hard, miserable lives. Does that mean that God promises you the, 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 an easy life? No, listen, my, my walk with Jesus has not been easy. I've had some... I've had some hurdles to jump. It's been difficult, but it hasn't disrupted my peace. It hasn't robbed me from who I am. And so I see these people, they've just been living in sin all these years. I'm just like, man, what a difference Jesus makes. What a difference Jesus makes. See, choices have consequences. And we'll see some of the consequences show up in Jacob's life. Because Jacob will get the, the the raw end of the deal a, a little while later in our narrative. And Esau also will have consequences. James 1.13 says this, But when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Well, God, why is God? God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desires. God isn't or you even go, oh, the devil, the devil's sword. Each one is tempted by his own evil desires. He's dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. When you sin, it's like you're putting putting a seed in the womb, and that womb is growing. And yes, you can be forgiven, you can be right, but let me tell you, your sins will catch up to you on this earth. In heaven, you're going to be good. It's going to be awesome. But you're really screwing up things for yourself, the the roughness of your journey. You're also messing up the reputation of the kingdom of God by just dabbling in sin. Listen, God wants you pure. He has so much. You will function so much better if you just live in a pure life. I know it's hard sometimes. I know it's hard to resist. I know it's difficult to say no to sin. I know we need the grace to say no to sin. But listen, you get in this track of purity. And you'll see it's so much more life-giving. The Spanish translation right here, not that I speak Spanish, but I, I've, I've been told this. Got an interpreter where it says, when it's full grown, gives birth to sin. The Spanish translation says this, that sin carries or bears within itself punishment. It says, Is God punishing you for your sins? No, your sins are punishing you for your sins. Jesus was punished for your sins. Your sins will punish you. They have consequences. So what do we do about it? Number four, you seek repentance. You get before God. He said, God, break me. I don't want to be hard. I don't want to be distant. I don't want to be away from you. This is what it says that he did. Right after Esau sells his birthright, this is what he did. He ate, drank, then got up and left. No remorse, no sorrow, no big deal. I'm satisfied. I like the Matthew Henry commentary. It says this, Esau ate and drank, pleased his palate satisfied his appetite, then carelessly rose up and went his way without any serious thought or any regret about the bar- bad bargain he just made. People are ruined, not so much by doing what is amiss, but by doing it and not repenting of it. How, how do you respond when you blow it? Are you just like, oh, oh Lord, forgive me. I mean, my kids do that. Right, they do something wrong. I'm like, they're like, well, I'm sorry. Right, no remorse. It's not repentance. They're, they're they're sorry. They're about to get their butt busted or grounded. So that'll make some of you all happier. Ground them also. We also bust that butt. We do. I ain't scared. <laughs> because we want them to be sorry for their choices that they made, not because they get busted for it. That's a, that's a criminal mindset, to only repent when you're busted for it. That's, that's, what, that's how criminals think. You're not a criminal. You're a child of God. So when I, I sin, when, I, when I sin against my wife, I don't apologize to her and say, oh, babe. Not that I've sinned against her, just for clarity. But if I have sinned against her, then I don't come to her and be like, oh, dang, that's, that's wrong. Correct me. I'm like, oh, man, my, I'm sorry, babe. I didn't realize that that hurt you. That's what repentance is. Repentance is saying, listen, I need to change the way I think and the way I act. I need to change the way I think about the way I act. I need to change something in here is broken. God, I'm not thinking like a child of God. I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking the way I should be thinking. This was Esau. He wasn't thinking that way. sorrow embarrassment being sorry that's not repentance you got to change your thinking and that will cause a behavioral shift 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 for the kind of sorrow god wants godly sorrow is to, ex- to experience that he wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation there's no regret for that kind of there's no regret for that kind of sorrow but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death Worldly sorrow is like, sorry, sorry about you. But godly sorrow says, man, I blew it for the ball. I blew it for the ball. Was so stupid. I wasn't thinking like the firstborn. I was thinking about thinking like someone who does not belong to the family. God, forgive me. I want to ask you today, when was the last time you repented of something? When was the last time that you got before God with tears and said, God, I'm sorry that I was acting like a sinner? I'm sorry that I was living like someone who did not belong to the kingdom. I'm sorry I've been acting to people like that. When was the last time you got before the Lord? Listen, repentance doesn't just initiate grace. We need grace to repent. And that's what I'm asking. I'm asking God will give, because we, we think great, you know, we use words like holiness and, great, and and repentance, and we think those are bad words. Those are really good words. Those are invitational words, God, bringing you into something better. And so what I'm asking is I'm saying, Lord, will you give us the grace to enter a lifestyle of repentance, not just behavior modification, but heart and mind transformation to where I'm living differently out of that. I'm going, I'm a son. Sons don't act like that. Gosh, I'm sorry, Lord. When was the last time you got before the Lord for some of the behaviors you've had? When was the last time you got before the Lord and wept and said, God, I know that I've been wrong. I know that I've sinned against you. I know that. When was the last time? When was the last time that you said, Lord, would you come in and just sweep the corners of my life? get into the corners Lord get in get into the cabinets of my life get behind the, the glass in the very back Lord would you get in there and would you sweep out would you dust out the junk in my life Lord would you would you get up under my bed Lord would you would you drag it all out Lord I'm, I'm asking for a deep cleaning when was the last time you got before the Lord and said Lord if there's anything in me that doesn't bring honor to you if there's anything in me that is impure or godless Lord would you help me would you help me to discover that I want to I want to bring it to you I want to give it to you I say God is this is this hindering us? It's hindering my pursuit of Jesus. It's hindering my identity. And I would suggest to you today that you ask the Lord, are there any bowls? Are there any bowls in my life? Have I been compromising? Have I been settling? Listen, if it's been a long time, Since you've asked those questions, then probably the sin that you need to repent of is is pride and self-righteousness. We need to get so needy upon Jesus. Blessed, Jesus said it this way, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Who will see God? The pure in heart. How do you get pure in heart? You come to Jesus. You come to Jesus. You trust Jesus, see it's not just about being right with God. It's not just for blessing, it's so that we have we carry a purity. We know that God wants to carry you to carry a purity about your life. That there would be a purity that you'd be marked. About purity, it should be—it should be one of the one of the one of the greatest desires of our life is to have a pure heart. Not to not to say what can I get away with, what's sin and what's not sin. Hmm. No, 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 man, I'm not. I'm not chasing how how far away I can get from the Lord and still be in. I'm chasing a pure heart that says, "Lord, I, I just I want to be completely abandoned. I want to belong completely to you. I want you, you, you're the one I want. This is what I want. This is my this is my life, Lord. I want to know you. I want to know you. Get rid of all the drunk. Get rid of all the poles, Lord." to deal with it. This is David's heart. You know, we talk about David. We talk about Moses. We talk about Jacob. Well, this is, See, the scripture isn't full of people that got it right. It's really full of people that got it wrong. It's so redemptive because I get it wrong a lot. But what's awesome is God is gracious, and He's so good, and He's so kind, he's so He's so, so slow with us. It's like, come on. He's cheering us on. He's bringing us in said, I want you to have that purity of heart. And this is the way David prays after David sinned. And when I talk about sin, I'm not just talking about like he slept with a woman that wasn't his wife. But David had the woman's husband killed. So he's before the Lord. Psalm 51, I remember when, when I was a student of Christ for the Nations, I remember... Every day, because I dealt with so much shame from my past, I just remember praying this prayer every single day, just that God would soften my heart, because I felt like there were hard places in my heart. It's not that I was necessarily not walking in forgiveness, I was, but there was so much hardness in my heart. I said, Lord, I want to be broken. I want to be totally pliable. This is what David prays. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he he uses language like this. Psalm 51, 10. Created me a pure heart. And renew a steadfast or a loyal spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Listen, I don't believe in the new covenant. You sin and you're out. You don't have the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that at all. But, But listen, we should treat the Holy Spirit in such a way that he is so precious. That I say, Holy Spirit, if I offended you, if I ignored you in my sin, I'm sorry. And he says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant a willingness, a willing spirit. Not just, not just an obedient spirit because I have to, no, a willing spirit to sustain me and sustain me. The sacrifices of God, and this is what he says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Before that, he says, God, you don't delight in sacrifice. You don't delight in all the religious duty. You just want me broken. You just want me humble before you're broken and can try to heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. And so this is what we're asking. Lord, give me a tenderness. Some of you have toughened up. As The older I've got, I've learned to be a little bit more weepy. Like, I don't have, like, ball outs, but, like, I've learned to get weepy. And I notice that I feel the closest to the Lord when I'm weeping before the Lord. When I'm just like, God, you're so good. Thank you. It's just, just a tenderness because that is the place, really, where the Lord is moving the most. It's just in the midst of our tenderness, it's the midst of our brokenness, it's the midst of our trust.